Wednesday evenings we've been seeking different passages and ideas that can help us to reach those who perhaps have wandered away or perhaps who have never named the name of the Lord and do not know Him as their Savior. One of the big ideas in the Bible is family. It's family. Most people hold their family as very precious uh, to them. But not everybody understands the connection between one's regular family and God's spiritual family. The connection between family and faith. And if we know those similarities, then perhaps we can use those to bring someone uh, back to God or have someone be introduced uh, to God. So I want to just mention those similarities for the first part of our thoughts this evening, and then I want to um, share another idea or two with you. So think about it yourself. What are some similarities between family and faith? What are some similarities between regular family and God's spiritual family? I can think of a few and I'll name these and then if you want to add to uh, the list, you're welcome to it. But of course we think about birth. Birth. We come into a regular family through physical birth or adoption. And so we come into God's family through spiritual rebirth. And we've talked about that enough to know. And you have your passages in your Bible marked at places like John 3, 3 through 5, and 1 Corinthians 12, and verse 13, Titus 3, and verse 5, 6, and 7. But notice that similarity, if you will. And when we're approaching someone who has already gone through the new birth process, we want to take them back there. If we're going to see someone who has wandered away, then we want to go back to the time that they were baptized and talk to them about why they were baptized and talk to them about the, the thoughts and emotions that they had and the, and the excitement perhaps or, or the ideals they had, the goals they had, back when they were first immersed in Christ. And hope, hopefully those memories can, can reignite uh, the flames of fire in their faith. Another ideal about uh, both families is uh, that, that ideal of growth. When we are born into this world, the first thing that, that little ones need is uh, they, need the, they need milk. They need food, they need air, they need an environment to grow, and so it is with the spiritual family. And so as newborn babes, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere, sincere milk of the word, uh, that they may grow thereby. That's, that's our situation. So if we have wandered away, then the likelihood is we've not been uh, feeding on the word of God or going to God in prayer. So that opens up a tremendous possibility of conversation. So one good thing to do 
if we are approaching someone, is to talk to them about their family and then just casually bring up these uh, important Bible ideals about family. So you've got similarities of birth, similarities of growth, and then similarity of father. Father. There are, there's a dad in a family or there's parents in the family, so we have God the Father uh, in the family. And what are your thoughts about God? And, and um, oh, how do you talk to him as uh, your spiritual father? And so after father, there's the idea of children, of children. And of course, Galatians 3.26 says we are all the children of God by, by faith in Christ Jesus, as many of us as were baptized into Christ uh, did put on Christ. So you've got birth and you've got growth. You've got father, you've got children, and then you've got brothers and sisters. And so both brothers and sisters are found in the physical family and a spiritual family. And after brothers and sisters, you can talk about the idea of love, how that both are necessary. Uh, love is necessary in both the spiritual family and the physical family as well. And then, um, then you've got purpose. What is the purpose of a family? Why are we here? Why? Why do you work so hard for your family? Is it not the case that both the physical family and spiritual family have the same purpose of glorifying God and learning His Word and worshiping Him, giving Him honor and glory and, and um, helping others to know the Lord uh, as well? And so if you think about just a few similarities, how many did we named there? Was it seven? Was it birth, growth? Father, children, brothers, sisters, love, uh, purpose. Uh, so I just want to mention that uh, before we go uh, into our lesson further, that that's a tremendous thought to have. And usually you have an open door. You have an open door with someone if you start off talking to them about their family. And then it's, um, it's not so hard to begin to compare uh, faith and family to compare spiritual children and regular children. Okay. Now, the next thing I want to get into here, which is kind of our main thing this evening, and I don't like getting into this. I don't like it. Um, it's necessary. It's necessary. One of the one of the fields of war today is the family. There's a war being waged on the family. So I got thinking about that and I thought, well, here I go. I'm just going to go see what they are saying, what they in the world are saying, because they've got to, to, to go and be perverse about the family. You've got to be thinking something. You've got to be giving some reasons why you're going in this direction. Okay. And so I thought, I'm just going to wander into this pig pen. Okay. You understand why I don't like to go in this direction very often because it is just like going into a pig pen. And literally, when I listen to these folks, I feel like I need a shower. Okay. Just as if I wandered into a literal... Pig pen. I want to share with you some arguments that are made 
to go away from what the Bible says about the family. Okay. And so I think these will be helpful because we need to be involved in the war. There is a war. Uh, we understand that. And one of the fronts of that war is the family. So what is it that, that those on the other side are saying about family? Okay. Believe it or not, the things I listened to were people trying to use the Bible to promote perverseness. Okay. So argument number one is this, that there is no real certain view of the family in the Bible. Okay. In fact, their argument is that there's real no view of anything with certainty in the Bible. Okay. You can't be certain about anything from the Bible. Their view of the Bible is that it's not a book, but rather it's several books, like a library. And in, like in the library, you have books that, that bring out many different kinds of views, so they look at the Bible that way. But the Bible has several different views, and you just choose the one uh, that you want. Okay. Well, when it comes to the family, we know better. We know better. The Bible clearly teaches that God is the author of the family. God brought the family uh, to the earth. Genesis 2 teaches that, doesn't it? God created man out of the dust of the earth and creating woman from man's rib and bringing him to the woman for the first marriage there in the Garden uh, of Eden. And he placed the man there in the garden and he, he had the man to join to the wife and the two uh, shall be one flesh. Jesus later in Matthew 19 uh, brings these very ideas up. Okay. Since God is the author God is the creator of marriage in the home, then we have no right to mess with it. And he has every right to set the conditions, set the structure of marriage in the home. And so we, we don't have to go over all that involves, but we know it involves one man for one woman. We know it involves male and female. We know it involves a lifetime commitment. We know it involves rearing children uh, in the Lord, we know it involves respecting male leadership, and we could just go on and on. Okay. But that's one argument that's made, that there's absolutely no real certain view of the family uh, in the Bible. Here's another argument. The argument's made that when you look across the, the civilizations of history, okay, you don't see just one form of family. You see various types of family. And that's pretty much true. If you look across the civilizations of history, you'll find a civilization, a generation here in some part of the world that would practice multiple wives or would practice no marriage and just a lot of cohabiting uh, together and practice a lot of different views and, and, um, and manners with, with their children. You will find just a... Just Families having different forms across the ages of history. Okay. But do the departures of man, do the doctrines of man, do the imaginations of man, do the desires of man, are, are that, is that to be our standard for relationships? Okay. And of course that's not true. That's how you talk to people 
is you say, well, what's to be the standard of how to know about family? Is the standard to be the departures of man? Or are we to look across history and see, see how man has degenerated into these various forms? Or are we to go back to God and the Bible to see how we are to behave? Okay. But that's another argument uh, that's made. Here's another argument. That Jesus, let me see what you say about this. That Jesus was anti-family. Jesus was against family. And here's what one lady said. She said Jesus was against family. Because he said, if you love father or mother more than me, or son or daughter more than me, then you're not worthy of me. Therefore, Jesus is against the family. So what do you say about that? Tell her to keep reading. What would she read if she keeps reading? Okay, what about the context? Exactly it. You would share the real point being made, which Aaron's bringing out, that we're to love Christ above loving anyone else, even the family. That absolute loyalty to Jesus is what's being taught there, which, by the way, would that not help every family on earth? Would not every family on earth be blessed and enriched? Wouldn't they be better families if they did have that kind of absolute love and loyalty uh, to Christ. Okay. But that's one of the arguments that is made that Jesus was uh, anti-family. Okay. The sad thing is a lot of times fathers want to be the authority and if God were to disagree with it, I heard one guy say, well, I'm still daddy. I said it. No matter if God agrees with me or not, I'm still daddy. Yeah, okay. So sometimes daddies may take their authority a little bit too far. Okay, very true. Um, so Jesus is the authority for everyone, for every uh, family. Another argument that is uh, made, and, I, and for those who may have just come in, what I did, I just wandered off into uh, the trash land to see what they're saying, the arguments being used to, to go outside the biblical bounds of family. And so another argument that is made is they say that Sodom, talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, that Sodom is a combination of gang rape and violence and not a combination of the homosexual relationship itself. So you're going to hear this a little bit when you engage yourself with people in this war for the family. Okay. So think about that. And think about Genesis 19. Think about what happened. Okay. These visitors came to whose house? Lot's house. Okay. And what happened when they came to Lot's house? They wanted to send the guests out so they could get to know them. 
Yeah. Yeah. So they would, those men of the city came and surrounded the house and they said, we know some guests came into your house, send them out so we can get to what? Know them. Know them in a sexual way, to know them. Okay. And what did Lot say? All right. So, we're not standing up for a lot at all here. All right. So, remember, what man does is not our standard. Okay. The first mention of someone having two wives in the Bible is who? Remember that name? Back in Genesis 4 19, his name is Lamech. Okay. He's the first. Recording we have of someone having two wives. Lamech is not our standard. Lot in offering his daughters to these men is not our standard. Only God is our standard. But what is being said is that Sodom is a combination of violence and gang rape and not the relationship itself. So how do we deal with that? All right, Ken says read 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. That's a good one to read. Let's, let's let Ken read that for us as you jump over there. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor robbers, Okay, notice that New Testament commentary, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. Okay. There's also a place in Jude that actually comments on the Sodom, Gomorrah, Jude, verse 7. Jude, verse 7. He says, verse 7 of Jude, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, having in like manner with these, given themselves over to fornication. Now, fornication is the general term that covers the wide variety, wide variety of, of sexual perversion. Okay. So, Jude refers to what happened there in Sodom and Gomorrah as people committing fornication and they're going after strange flesh. What does Jude mean when he says they're going after strange flesh? What does that mean? What you looking at? What you looking at? You turned around and looked up there like you saw something that was. I'm not blind yet. Yeah. What does English standard verse say? Unnatural flesh. Jude is most likely picking up do what? Unnatural desire. Unnatural desire. Yeah. Jude is picking up 
most likely from Paul's statement in Romans 1. I had just a guess about it. Romans 1. Twenty-six and twenty-seven. For this cause, God gave them up into vile passions. For their women changed the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust toward one another. Men with men, working unseemliness. Okay, so Jude calls it going after strange flesh, and he calls it uh, fornication. That's Romans 1, 26-27. So that doesn't work to say that, that the condemnation that is given towards Sodom and Gomorrah is simply gang rape and that the relationship itself um, is okay. Now another argument that's often used is that Jesus never condemned the uh, perversion that is mentioned in these verses. What do you have to say about that? That Jesus never condemned it himself. No, Jesus never condemned Okay, You don't have a red letter Bible? What do you say about that? When, it says, when someone says, well, Jesus never condemned it. And Jesus didn't say that. No, but he told them from the beginning it was not so. And what words did he use? He said, man should leave his uh, father and mother for his wife, and they two should clean, clean and be one flesh. Clean? Clean. Cleave. Cleave. Okay. Clean. Clean or cleave? Okay. Stick together. Making a reference to Matthew 19 is exactly what, exactly what we should do if anyone ever says that Jesus didn't condemn it because as he begins his talk about marriage, Jesus is asked, is it lawful to put away one's wife for any cause? He said, have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them what? Male and female. That's it. He bases his entire discussion on marriage on how God created them, male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two uh, shall be one flesh. Okay. Now, making a reference to Romans 1 is not bad either, because Jesus inspired these writers to teach what they taught. In other words, when Paul and Jude and others condemned homosexuality, they were doing that because the Lord had guided them to do that. Okay. So we don't need to let go of that. 1 Corinthians 14.37, Paul said, I want you to know the things I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Okay. 1 Corinthians 14.37, the things I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. So it's just as Jesus saying them. The same thing. Same thing. Well, all inspired, all scripture is inspired. It's just like Jesus said, is it not? Yeah. Every scripture is inspired of God. Jesus said it. Okay. What? Yes, it was against 
Well, sure, sure. But the argument was on Sodom and Gomorrah that the reason it was destroyed because the people were uh, violent and um, urged gang rape, the whole city. Uh, but if they had just been um, calmly promoting the relationships, then God wouldn't have condemned it. But we can see that's just not the case from our New Testament references here. And from just reading, just read the thing, and you can see uh, that's not true. It is probably Second Peter two six through eight. You can check on that if you want to. I, mean, I, I wouldn't think if God condoned it, it would be called an abomination. Would you? No, I don't think it would be called an abomination if God condoned it. That's right. Another thing to think about: you've got the Sodom and Gomorrah um, destruction in Genesis. And then a few years later, when God, through Moses, set down the laws for his nation, such as in Leviticus 20 and 13, Leviticus 20, 13 says, If a man lie with man as with a woman, both of them have committed abomination. Here it is. Here it is. Leviticus 20, 13. This is under the old law. So I believe that gives us the view of God on Sodom and Gomorrah. It wasn't just condemning the gang rape idea, but condemning the actual relationship that would, that would occur. So notice that in Leviticus 20 and verse 13. If a man lie with man as with womankind, both of them have committed abomination. They shall surely be put to death their blood shall be upon themselves. So the argument is made that there's not one view of family in the Bible. No. The argument is made that, that across the, the centuries that there have been a lot of different forms of family. Well, that's not our standard. The argument is made that Jesus was anti-family and that, of course, not not true at all. The argument is made that that uh, Jesus never condemned uh, this kind of perversion, and of course that's not true. Arguments also made that the New Testament condemns the abuse in relationships, but not the type of relationships. Okay. Not the types of relationships. Okay. I want us to go back to what Kim brought up for just a minute. Let's run over to 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 9, and 10. Let's think about this argument that's made that the New Testament condemns the abuse in relationships, but not, but never condemns the, the relationships themselves. Okay. Let's just notice in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, what, since Ken's already read that for us, we'll just go back to that. Verse 9, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor abusers of themselves of men, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. 
So when they say that only the abuse in the relationships is what's condemned, what are we going to say? Well, what they're actually saying is that there is a legitimate form of homosexuality. Okay? As long as there's no abuse there and it's consensual, then that's legitimate. But if abuse gets involved, then it becomes illegitimate. But notice that not only here but in other places that this kind of practice is condemned along with other practices. So what you do, you just talk to them and say, look, if you're having a discussion, say, is there a legitimate form of drunkenness? Is there a legitimate form of, of cheating people, being an extortioner? Is there a legitimate form of idolatry? There's no legitimate form of any of those. Okay? There's no situation where any of those would be right, and so uh, neither would this perversion be right in any case. Right. Another argument that is made is that you cannot take the Bible literally. Literally. And I was listening to this one lady, and she really pounded on this. So this evidently has gained them some some um, popularity. So let's think about this. So she says, um, the Bible cannot be taken literally, and she names off the fact that God is said to be a rock, and that God is said to be a shield. Do you take that literally? God is said uh, to be a shepherd, to be our shepherd. Do you take that literally? Is God literally a rock? And then she says, um, and what she was doing, she was pretending like this other guy was a Christian. And she was kind of mocking the Christians. And so she looked at this Christian and said, didn't your Lord tell you to go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and take up your cross and follow him? And she looked at the Christian and said, have you done that? And he said, no, I haven't done that. She said, why not? And he said, well, we don't take everything literally. And she says, why do you take male and female literally? Why do you take the condemnation of, of same gender relationships literally? Okay. So go to what Jesus told the rich young ruler. Go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Take it to the cross. Follow me. What are you going to say? about that. Okay. You notice what Aaron said. This is, this is exactly what needs to be said. Okay. Jesus had the ability to read hearts. Okay. He knew what the rich young ruler needed. He needed a challenge in his life. He, he needed to be woke up. He needed... He needed someone to come along and, and really um, put a, a spark in his heart because he was, he was tied to his possessions. As far as we know, he walked away from, from the Lord, the rich young, rich young ruler did. That's exactly right. Only the Lord can uh, read the hearts. And that's one thing that they would be missing as they try to use the Bible to promote um, their perversion. And also remember that 
If families were very generous, if families were unselfish, which is what Jesus is trying to drive at with this rich young ruler, if, if all families were not tied to possessions, wouldn't all families be more blessed? Wouldn't all families uh, be more productive? Wouldn't they be happier? Wouldn't they find real joy if all uh, were like that? That's so true, Aaron, is if anybody's going to approach Scripture, they need to approach it with a great deal of reverence. And as you would want to handle any document, handle it fairly. Rightly divide the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2, uh, 15. But that's not the purpose of, of the folks we're talking about. Their purpose is to confuse. Their purpose is to raise doubt. Their purpose is for us not to get involved in the war because they want to make us not so certain. If they can make us unsure about what we're teaching, then we'll never get involved in the war because we don't want to get caught in a spot where we can't give an answer. So their purpose is to discourage. My point was, if you're dealing with these people, your explanation should begin with 2 Okay, good. So most definitely, if you're going to sit down with someone with Scripture, then you start right there about um, you know, making the commitment to handle it right. And, and do you agree with this? And, and let's look at the context, see who's talking okay, and uh, how, who it is. And of course, when Jesus is speaking, uh, he can read the hearts of people. Jesus knew exactly what people needed uh, to hear. Study to show yourself approved. 2 Timothy 2, uh, 15. Another argument that, that uh, one lady used was that um, when you look at all the literature in the Bible, only about 1% of that literature deals with this perversion that we're talking about. And so therefore it's not a priority in the Bible. There's so much other literature in the Bible. So obviously it's not God's priority that we talk about this. So why do Christians talk about it? So what do you say about that? <laughs> it does fall in the category of sin. What else might you say about that? Yeah, how many times does God have to say something to make it right or wrong? 
goes back to that respect. God appeals to his word, his revelation, but he also appeals to man's reasoning abilities, common sense, common sense. Okay. And you would think that since it's pretty obvious that we're made male and female, and that there's only one of those two who can bear children. You would think that mentioning it once or twice is about all you would need. Right. Either one on their own cannot produce uh, children. How many times is mentioned is irrelevant? Okay. Right. Well, God gave some details, like in Leviticus, about different kinds of relationships. But Christ set the standard. And without giving a whole long list of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, he just said, it's better than payment. Or like, he didn't have to spend an inordinate amount of time saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Once you establish male and female, yeah, yeah. The Bible is written for those who have a good and honest heart, those who have the desire to know and the desire to to use common sense. It's interesting that in Romans one, as Paul leads into his discussion here, he says Romans one twenty one. He says, because that knowing God, they glorified him not as God, neither gave thanks, but became vain in their reasonings, and their senseless heart was darkened. So the Bible never makes sense to anyone who has decided it's not going to make sense, who want to go in the darker uh, directions. New King James says, same verse, verse became futile in their thoughts. Futile in their thoughts. Okay. So their condition of the heart is, is primary in receiving the Word of God. So, um, of course, these arguments are not real arguments. They're people looking for ways to confuse those who want to do right and then try to support their own uh, way of living. We want to stand up for the family, the family, as God designed it. And the more we do that, I believe the more we will lead people back to the truth about the spiritual family. The two are really closely connected. And the more we can build up the physical family and the truth about it, the more we build up the spiritual family, and really vice versa uh, as well. appreciate you walking through some of these 
ideals, both the similarities of the two families, but also some of the arguments made to drive people away from God's design for the family. There are others that we could mention, but you get the gist of what is happening, and it is not a joy of mine at all. And you'll notice I only do this every so often only because I feel duty-bound to do it, but it is um, altogether basically junk. And it's much more fun just to deal with God's truth as it is presented uh, in His Word. Okay, thank you for being in class, and we'll take about a four or five-minute break and have our devotional.